Welcome back to another episode of That's What People Do. Happy New Year, everyone. You are joined by me, Ryan McGowan, and as always, James Kay. How are you doing, buddy? I'm very good, thank you, Ryan. It really took me aback then when you said Happy New Year on the 20th of January. But it is, isn't it? It is for us. (laughs) Um, Wow. Yeah, we need to address it, don't we? Um, We had a little chat before we recorded, as we usually do. And we were like, we should probably, one, apologise, but two kind of address what's going on um so first of all apologies for the d- d- the delay in this episode um but you know you're here now so hi welcome back uh, and happy new year to everyone um secondly why is it taking us so long to write an episode uh, and this is the part where we be honest with you guys um and it's something that we have always tried to be as much as possible. Um, we're always like very transparent, telling you guys everything that's going on. Um, basically, James and I had like a we just hit a wall when it comes to motivation. Um, I I remember te- I was texting James at one point, and I said said to you, mate, like I've just got no motivation at all to just sort of crack on right now. Um, mm. You use the excuse of January blues. Always. Um, but. Uh, I, for me, uh, it, yeah, to to talk personally for a moment, I've I've received like two or three promotions in about as many months, and now I'm so sort of wired into my job, which I don't particularly want to be doing. Um, <laughs> that even in my off time, I'm being bombarded with like messages about work that I feel I need to be involved in. So like even my free time doesn't seem that free, and I really just don't want to sit down and write. Um, yeah. And so this month has been a tough one for me. Um, however, it is something I am going to be looking to change in the future and making sure that I am more readily available to do things like this. Um, so, yeah, this is just a little blip. And uh, we will. I think get back. as well, for, for me as well, like my job is literally writing, researching, and writing. So when I, I finish at half five, it's very difficult for me to continue research and writing for, for something personal like the podcast which I do want to do but I've written how many thousands of words during the day I just kind of want to sit there and mindlessly watch TikTok mm. and I had the thought process of like if I force myself to write episodes and do the podcast when I don't want to eventually like because of how my personality is and who I am I might then come to resent it and I never want that to happen so for me I think it's better to step back when you're not feeling it address it and then push forward when January finally fucking ends. Yeah, because it's been long. Because this month sucks. And also, let's address something else. I don't know if anyone else gets paid early in December because of Christmas. I want that to stop. I couldn't give a shit. Like, you're paying people a few days before Christmas Day. If you haven't got your shopping done by then already, you fucks it. And now we've had to wait, like, well over a month to get paid again. This is not acceptable. Just just keep every day the same. This is this is why January feels so long. It's because it takes so long to get fucking paid. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what's going on with us. Uh, we are going to get back into it. Um, we will eventually get back into the swing of it. Um, but uh, you guys by now, three years in, should know what we're like. Um, <laughs> um, we... This will happen. We'll have a month off, then all of a sudden there'll be a month with, like, seven episodes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah. 
whenever there's a new episode in, you guys are straight on it. <laughs> Just take your time with this one, all right? Because I don't know when the next one will be. <laughs> I'm looking at my calendar and it might be a while. Next weekend, I'm not available at all and it's a worry. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, that is for us to uh, figure out. But anyway, thank you very much for sticking by us. And uh, hello again, everyone. Um, send us love. I want love. Give me all the love. Give me all the positivity. I need it. I just need it. I need to feel the love again. And if you're feeling the January blues, like, you're not alone. It's there. The days are short. It's fucking freezing mm. all the time. You will get there. And then February is a nice short month. So look forward to that. Yeah. Now, on the back of this... I say I've written an episode. I've been very lazy with this. I've cheated, kind of. Um, we're kind of doing half of what we would normally do when we do our documentary episodes, when we watch a real big documentary and then we have an opinion and talk about it. We've kind of done that. So this week, we're going to be talking about a woman called Shamima Begum. So we've done a wee bit of research with this. We've listened to a few brand new episodes of podcasts that are about talking about her. We've done our own research and whatnot and gone away and come up with, basically, we want to tell you guys about her and have our own opinions on it because currently in the UK, it is very hot. This is a hot, hot topic right now. Um, and yeah, we just felt like it was a good time to jump in on that. So let's start. Shamima Begum was born August the 25th, same birthday as me, but in 1999, she grew up in Bethnal Green in East London to a Muslim family of Bangladeshi descent. Now, she's described by her family as someone who is not very adventurous, going so far as to say that she would not go alone to the shops for a pint of milk. Now, she's also described as being like the average teen who's into reading and watching TV. And at school, she's known to be a very, very bright student. She gets straight A's and among her friends, she's known as fairly quiet not really a standout kind of girl. In fact, a friend of hers who um, is only known as Zara has described her as being like a ghost. And when talking about Shamima, Zara called um, uh, recalled how they would hang out in a prayer room at school, not necessarily to pray, but just as a place of sanctuary where the girls could be away from other people. Oftentimes, though, they were kicked out since they weren't in there for its intended purpose. So it seems that Shamima wasn't overly religious. She's not overly confident. She's rather, rather quiet. So, and, and in terms of the religious angle as well, uh, growing up in a Muslim family, she only started wearing a scarf when she was around age 14 or 15, and that was only because her mum asked her to. In fact, her mum would have to nag her just to get her to pray, like, she just would not, she wasn't into it, right? She would do it, but it really wasn't something she thought about much. So, there really isn't much to suggest that Shamima was anything other than a typical 15-year-old Londoner. So, what would come next absolutely shocked her family. The day started early on Tuesday the 17th of February 2015. Shamima woke around 5 or 6 a.m. and had her mum walk her to the bus stop. Questioning why she was up so early on a school holiday, Shamima told her mum that she was going into school for extra classes since her GCSE exams were coming up. In reality, she was meeting up with two of her friends, Amira Abes, who is 15, and Khadija Sultana, who is 16. They were heading to Gatwick Airport, where they boarded a 12pm flight to Istanbul. Nobody in their families knew what they were up to. The girls 
just disappeared. And when the police were notified of the disappearances, it seemed that they may have had a better idea of where the girls may have gone than even their own families. They believed that they were heading to Syria to become an ISIS bride. Now, without wishing to go too much into it, because we all know who they are, ISIS... ISIS? What's ISIS? ISIS is a militant Islamic terror organisation that rose to prominence in 2014 when it really started to gain ground in Syria, controlling large populations of people and enforcing, enforcing their strict version of Islamic law. Now, it is important at this moment to state that ISIS and their interpretations of Islam is wholly different and in no way a reflection of Muslims or Islam as a whole. It is a bastardization of Islam, relying on their own interpretations instead of the wider, more accepted teachings. I just would like to get that out there. Well said. You covered yeah, that well. Um, if there's one thing that I saw, I remember. Do you remember this trended? And it was like not all Muslims are terrorists. Uh huh. That was yeah, trending. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Fair. That was trending on Twitter because that, <laughs> and, and that's the last thing I would want to happen in doing this episode. We're not going to talk about Islam. We're not talking about Muslims. We're not talking about religion today. We're just purely talking about Shamima and her story. Um. And yeah. the last thing I would want anyone to take away from this is to have some sort of anti-Islam, anti-Muslim no, thing. That's not where we're going with this. It is always fascinating. I think we spoke about this before, that if there is a terror attack done by an um, Islamic organisation, uh, the whole religion will get tarnished. Whereas if a white kid shoots up a mosque, for example, uh, under the name of Christianity, he'll just be an individual who's got mental health issues. Mm. It's always fascinating that the... A lot of the news, which I'm sure we'll get onto, and um, just opinions around the world are racist without knowing that they're being racist. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Now, ISIS knew that it didn't have the numbers to fight and carry on against the big armies of the Middle East, you know, against proper armies like Iraq and uh, Iran and Syria and whatnot. So they knew that they needed to recruit people badly. So, what they did was they looked in the arseholes of the World Guide to Marketing and saw that with the right propaganda, they could indoctrinate people and bring them over. And it fucking works. Because to this date, over a thousand men and women have left the UK to join ISIS, be it as a fighter, suicide bomber, or an ISIS bride. And one of the main factors in radicalising them is the rise of social media and the jazzy recruitment videos mm. that ISIS makes. Now, I've I've gone out of my way and run the risk of having the old Bill knock at my door by watching lots and lots and lots <sighs> of done? ISIS recruitment videos. Oh, for fuck's sakes. If you don't if right, if the next episode doesn't come out for a while, it's because I'm in fact, I'm going to put a link on this page of a GoFundMe of get Ryan out of prison. <laughs> If everyone could just donate to Yeah, that. I did think this. I was like, I'm going to have the old Bill send me a letter and be like, I think you might be, might be being radicalised. I'm like, I'm not. I'm just doing research. This. Speaking of simile, there's a, there's a woman that's gone missing in the US. I wrote a story about it the other day and her name completely escapes me. It's really annoying. And her husband went to court the other day and they read out all of his Google searches that had taken place over the part of when she had gone missing. And over the span of like 12 hours, it's how to get rid of a body, how to get blood off the floor, what are the best cleaning products to get rid of blood. Oh, There's fucking loads. God. And being like, can I put arms in the trash can? It's like, you fucking idiot. Why have you Googled all of this stuff? It's always the partner. 
and he, he's just stood there and like as his like the attorney or whatever reads it out to him and his face is like yeah fair you've got me <laughs> moron oh my god there do you know what it's funny um that is not funny but um there is a case that's fairly similar to that have you ever heard of casey anthony yeah 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 i have yeah yeah and like casey anthony is allegedly uh accused of, and i think she's been acquitted of it or something like that uh for killing her young child when she was like 18 19 or something um yeah, yeah, yeah. and like she, um, wh- oh yeah i've written a couple of stories on this as well she accused her dad of doing it yeah uh, well of molestation as well and he yeah, was yeah, like yeah. whoa where the fuck did that come from because <laughs> um, she'd never mentioned it before um but then there was something about um if i remember like an, an old podcast that i heard about it was like she had Firefox as her go-to web browser. So when the police were like looking through her computer, they were just looking at Internet Explorer and they couldn't, they were like, oh, there's nothing on her search history. And it's like, it's because it's all on Firefox and they just didn't realize I mean, what it was. That's kind of genius because no one uses Firefox. Correct. Is Firefox even still a thing? I don't know. I No, I don't know. I don't even use Safari and I'm on a Mac. <laughs> <laughs> no, who the fuck uses Safari? You use Google Chrome. Literally, my partner uses Safari, and I'm like, "What a psycho!" Honestly, that's, as soon nah, as that's not okay. As soon as I open my MacBook, the day I got it, I downloaded Google Chrome. Yeah, it's the first thing you do. You download Google Chrome on Safari. It's like asking yes. it to dig its own grave. Google Business Daddy. Um, now, where was I? To- I was talking about ISIS recruitment videos. Now, I, honestly, yeah. I've got to say, right, they are very well made. Some of these are very very good like they are honestly some of them are on a level of like high budget like small movies if that makes sense like, wow I, i'm like, kind of interested but i also want to see how you get on over the next couple of weeks and then maybe i'll yeah. i'll have a look <laughs> yeah i mean there are a ton of visual effects and graphics um and they look really cool they're all done in english because you know for the most part most people speak mm. english right rather than yeah. you know even shamima right although she um goes off to like the middle east and whatnot she her family are bangladeshi they don't speak arabic right so Mm. she would speak english and this is probably where they got all this shit from um but they have like shots of soldiers that are training and looking all buff and strong and and doing soldiery things where they look heroic and whatnot um and and they also like to try and present their version of an ideal world where they're like they can all live in perfect islamic peace and all this kind of stuff right um and some of them are blatant copies of just western media for example there is and i'm not joking there is a shot for shot remake of like american sniper but for isis that's so funny and it looks quite cool <laughs> <laughs> like there's so just... what... go on so what they've essentially done is they've taken western propaganda and just made it to be around themselves yeah like I used this as an example earlier when I was talking to a friend of mine at work um, and uh, I was saying how the Nazis kind of looked at radio and films like mm. cinema and were like, that's our way forward. That's how we connect the, with The Nazis people. were the fucking... Well, I mean, they coined propaganda, didn't they? Right, exactly. And ISIS have kind of done the same where they've kind of gone, right, what can we do that will grab people's attention and it's like these people yeah. are obsessed with movies and they're obsessed with their like you know big visual shit we'll just do that yeah rather I mean, than we have it over here on our adverts like the royal marines one looks like a call of duty game the oh, yeah. made in the royal navy one like all that does is shows people playing fucking sport like look at you look how cool you are yeah so like, it's all well and good until something kicks off yeah it's exactly what isis do they do exactly the same thing in fact 
funny you should mention Call of Duty. Um, quite a few of their recruitment videos have like these body cams where they're like on their chest, so it looks like Call of Duty but live action. That's mad. And like some of them, like despite the horrific things that some of them have got in there, like in terms of the production quality, some of them is are quite good. And I'm like, yeah. oh god, like I'm watching this, and I can kind of get why quite a lot of young people could be fooled by this shit oh for sure they want to feel like they're part of something exactly right and that's the whole idea behind this right so for younger people you know to identify with it and see it in a more glamorous way and according to the police this shit seems to be what maybe shamima and her friends may have been exposed to and were already known to be at risk of being radicalized so knowing this right did the police keep tabs on them or notify the parents no is the short answer um shimima and her friends had a mutual friend who had only months earlier in december of 2014 traveled to syria to become an isis bride and because of this the police had a visit to her school had spoken to the school and i told them what had happened and were like can we please speak to her friends because we're concerned about them about being radicalized and doing the same the school were like yeah absolutely here's the girls the police spoke to them and gave them a letter asking them to give that letter to their parents and did the girls give the letter to the parents did they fuck no they put it in their own textbooks and never gave it to the parents and did the police follow up and speak to the parents at all no did the it should just be sent home surely exactly right maybe you get the police to send them home i don't know but even the school failed to talk to the families and the families themselves are so angry at one the police and two the school yeah because they it feel like the failed guarding issue it does doesn't it it feels just you have the address of the child if it's an important letter it gets like i remember in my school anyway like i got done for attendance once and it got sent to the address it wasn't given to me to take home oh because you can never trust a kid to do it exactly you cannot trust a child to take an important letter that refers to themselves back to their parents yeah because they'll be scared yeah like how many kids you know forge their parents signatures just to say that they did their homework or like you know, yeah oh, I can't. every week every week right and so yeah the, the families themselves had said like if at, if at any point were we told or made aware that the girls were at a risk of being radicalized we could have prevented this yeah 100 percent. oh the system failed them now the three girls became headline news in the uk teenagers traveling to syria to become the wives of terrorists and the nation was incensed we had all seen and heard of stories about isis the defacing of historic sites the persecution of non-muslims people being executed on the streets either by stoning being thrown off of buildings or being shot or even beheaded on camera and we also knew of people who had already traveled to be an isis fighter jihadi john is a name that we all know he was one of four british men who had joined isis in fact they went on to be known as the beatles after the band since all of them were british and then there's jihadi jack aka jack letts i find him a very interesting case he is an oxfordshire born lad who is half canadian and half english very very much just your typical middle class white lad who converted to islam and then joined isis like I actually watched an interview on him fairly recently um, where he's in prison and they asked him if there was anything that he missed about being in the UK 
and he said, yeah, I miss my mum, and I miss Doctor Who. And I'm like, bro, bro, you converted to Islam and joined a terrorist organisation to become a fighter. Doctor Who would not be happy with him. Doctor Who would be so upset with you. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you see it nowadays as well on kind of a smaller scale, but with all the Andrew Tate stuff, you give like boys, young men, I'm hesitant to use the word incels, but that's what most people refer to them as, who like are struggling to find an identity and they kind of find, I don't know, solace in the in these men who are teaching them really bad things. We all know what Andrew Tate does. We all know that he's a, in prison at the minute for trafficking women and how he's misogynistic, etc. But it, it it's, it's really interesting how young men can be really easily persuaded to join some sort of group just to feel a part of something. Mm. I'm sure there's some sort of study being done into it and into why. But a lot of it feels like... A lot of it is rooted in uh, sexism and the patriarchy and all sorts because you see women nowadays who rightfully have their own voices can can be powerful women and with the me too movement people are being called out a lot more and a lot of men do not like this mm. and i'm not sure how that applies to a 19 year old lad sat in his basement playing Fortnite, mm. but it does for some reason yeah. and it really resonates with them for sure um on andrew tate i am very much looking forward to doing an episode on him one day Oh, yeah, for sure. I've written like a lot about him. I have a lot to say about that fucking prick. But oh, in yeah. fact, there was a journalist who, uh, Mike Stutchbury, I interviewed him once about something completely different. But uh, he's a really nice chap. Follow him on Twitter. Um, he tweets a lot, but it's okay. And he once did an article on Andrew Tate and Tommy Robinson. And Andrew Tate then, because he used to live in Luton, funnily enough, turned up at his house and started like harassing him. And his wife had, like, a panic attack. She had to call the police. And, like, Andrew Tate would not leave them alone. Really? He would, like, fully at the front door, like, harassing these people. That's the so man weird. is a problem. He is a problem. Well, not at the moment, because he is in prison. Yeah, it's got extended as well. Yeah. Um, now, because of all the things that we had already heard about ISIS before, the public were naturally very unsympathetic to the girls, calling them traitors and hoping the worst would happen to them. And that's the nice stuff. For the families of these girls, though, it must have been very hard for them to hear. Shamimia's family believed that she was groomed online and trafficked to Turkey by the terrorist organisation. Now, British intelligence services picked up the trail of Shamima and her two friends in Istanbul, Turkey, where they're spotted on CCTV at the bus station. It's the last time that they are seen for years. But for Shamima and the girls who are sat at the bus station, they're waiting. It had snowed in Istanbul and their their whole like itinerary had been put on hold because of this. So they sat in that bus station for a day and a half. And while sitting there, they're joined by a family of seven who are looking to join ISIS. Like a, a family f- of seven looking to join ISIS. How do you, how does that conversation even come up at a bus station? Right. How do you how do you approach someone and go? You looking to join ISIS? Like, oh shit, me too. No way. And the fact that it's like the parent, whoever made this decision, was like, we need to do this. And they were from South Africa as well, right? But they were like, we need to do this. And That's they, so bizarre. I'd love to know how that took place. They uprooted their family, man. Like their kids yeah. and shit. And we're like, we're going. That's going to be the promised land. Do you know what I mean? That's mad. But eventually, after a day and a half, they're met with a man named Mohammed Rashid, 
a people smuggler within ISIS who took them from Istanbul to the Turkish-Syrian border where they crossed over. Now, Shamima and her friends are held in a camp with a bunch of other women for all, from all over the world who have travelled in to become ISIS brides for ISIS fighters. Now, the problem that Shamima has is that she is too much on the radar at the moment. ISIS know who she is already, since she is such big news in the UK. She's causing such a stir, and all of a sudden she's in their camp, and they're like, eh, I'm not sure about this. So, mm. because of that, she's taken away and held in a separate place for questioning. They're concerned that she's a spy. Now, after many rounds of questioning... They believe that she's here with the right intentions, i.e. the wrong intentions, and they release her. And she's almost immediately married. Shamima, still aged 15, is married off to a Dutch-born ISIS fighter called Jago Riedik, who is 23. Right. Just want to let that hang in the air for a sec. It's a bit noncy, isn't it? It is a bit noncy, isn't it? In fact, I watched an interview... Uh, with Yago, and they raise that question. They're like, you married her when she was 15. Did at no point you think that was inappropriate or wrong? And he's like, mm. oh, well, no, I didn't I didn't really want to get married. Um, uh, a, a, per- a friend of mine came up to me and said that there was a girl who wants to get married, um, and she made that decision. Like, she consented. She was like, fine. And I'm like, right, that's not an excuse. She is under 18. <laughs> Yeah, the, I mean, everything about this, every aspect of this is wrong, but it just keeps getting worse. Oh, yeah. Now, Shamima is supposedly living the idyllic Islamic life that she was promised, right? She is the wife of a fighter who is fighting to protect the sanctity of their faith. She is going soon to have children. She's going to look after the home, and it's all going to be cushy. There are some cons to this life, of course. She is living in an active war-torn country. Syria is in the middle of a civil war. And bombs are a daily thing. But other than that, eh, it's not too bad. You get ISIS fighters coming in your house from time to time, discussing with her husband things that they might do soon. In fact, she describes how she saw a severed head in a bin once. Now, that's not your usual experience when going to the bins. And I work in London. I've seen some nasty shit in <laughs> bins, right? I work right next to the Thames. But I've never seen a head in a bin. No, neither. No. For us in the UK, though, the last image that we had was of her on that CCTV footage at the bus stop. We had no idea if she was even alive, but that was until February the 13th, 2019, nearly four years to the date of her leaving the UK. Shamima is discovered by a journalist of the Times newspaper in a refugee camp in northern Syria. She's wearing a full burqa, showing only her face when being interviewed. She's now 19 and is pregnant, expecting her baby within days. She reveals that this will be her third child and that her first two had died from malnutrition. Now, in 2017, a US-backed alliance of Syrian fighters took back control of Raqqa, which was the ISIS capital. It scattered ISIS and, to be honest, from even today, they've never been the same. They've never been able to properly reorganise back to the strength that they once had and thank the Lord for that. But what it meant for Shamima was that she'd lost her husband, who had been captured and now, today, lingers in a, in a jail. 
and is now stuck in a refugee camp with other ISIS brides. Both girls who she had travelled out with had been killed in airstrikes. Shamima was the only one left. Now, she once again makes national headlines with the interview. She's quoted as having said that she is unfazed by seeing a severed head in a bin and that she doesn't regret her decision to join ISIS and that the Manchester bombings were warranted as payback for the bombings happening to people she knew but expressed that she wanted to return to the UK for the safety of her unborn son so that he might receive decent medical care and hopefully live. Um, For any international listeners, if you don't know, the Manchester bombings, although most of our American listeners would know because this was an Ariana Grande concert in Manchester Mm, where uh, a couple of bomb guys, ISIS claimed ownership of this attack, um, went into the concert and set off a couple of bombs in the arena. I think yeah, I think it. I don't forget how many it killed, but it killed kids as well. Yeah. Um, and when Shamima was asked about this and was like, "Ah, oh, well, you know, people kill innocent people over here in Syria anyway, so it's kind of like tit for tat." It didn't go down very well. It did not. Of course not. If then you follow that up with, "I then want to come back to that country," obviously you're going to be met with, uh, "Yeah, maybe not." No. Now a media storm followed. Every news channel and panel show was talking about it, asking the same question. Should Shamima be allowed back? And it's a question that still divides many today. In fact, it's a question that we later on are going to attempt to answer ourselves. Many say that she should be brought back to face a trial. She is a British citizen after all and should be tried in Britain regardless of what she may have done. But many still call her a traitor and wish her to rot in the camp. The UK government's answer was very, very clear. She was not to be brought back under any circumstances. Home Secretary at the time, Sajid Javid, made the rare decision to revoke Shamima's British passport, meaning she is no longer considered British. Now, this was a legal dilemma. According to international law, no nation can revoke a person's citizenship if it would make them stateless. And since Shamima was born in and raised in Britain, Many claimed that that is exactly what the UK government was doing. However, as I mentioned earlier, since both of Shamima's parents are originally from Bangladesh, it meant that Shamima was eligible for Bangladeshi citizenship. The problem with that is, Shamima has never been to Bangladesh, nor does she hold dual citizenship, and more to the point, Bangladesh doesn't want her. So, she's stuck in this limbo state. She's since been moved to another refugee camp and has done a few more interviews, including a live interview on the popular breakfast show Good Morning Britain, where she was no longer wearing a burqa, but instead a tank top, showing much of her skin as instead of before. Her hair is let down long over one shoulder and she's wearing a black Nike hat. She appears more Western now and is appealing to return to the UK. Her third child that had been born a few years ago has also passed away. She's lost all three of her children, unfortunately. Now, she claims that she was groomed online. She wants to return back to the UK. She says she was a child still in UK law and didn't know what she was doing properly. She says that she would rather die than be a part of ISIS now and claimed that the UK has an issue with young people being radicalised and that she could be an asset to the government in helping stop young people being radicalised by using her story. Now, 
That about wraps it for the story so far. She's still in a camp to this day, and the UK is not bending when it comes to re uh, revoking her citizenship, and it seems unlikely that this is going to change anytime soon. She's not the only one, though, who has lost her citizenship. I mentioned earlier Jihadi Jack Letts. He also had his citizenship revoked since he has Canadian heritage through his father, but Can Canada has since said, we don't want him either. Now, with this episode, we wanted to have a discussion on whether she should be brought back or not, and why. We're also going to have a quick little look at some of the things that Shamima is accused of. Might these be the reasons that Home Secretary Sajid Javid said in an interview, quote, If you did know what I knew, you would have made exactly the same decision. Of that, I have no doubt. So, what are some of the things that she has done, allegedly? One of them is that she is an enforcer within ISIS Morality Police, which is a group that enforce the strict rules uh, of, of their beliefs, and those that don't meet them are punished. Another one is that she is a recruiter for other young girls such as herself. That apparently she is permitted to carry around an AK-47, I don't necessarily know what for, and that she was involved in stitching fighters into suicide vests in such a way that any attempt to remove them would set them off. Now, we only have Shamima's word on these accusations, and she claims to be completely innocent of them all, saying there is no evidence at all of any of this being accurate or true. So, with that all being said, I asked you, James, the question, should Shamima be allowed back? Oh, here's a doozy. I'm going to say no. Interesting. Explain. Which I'm sure, this is the thing, I consider myself quite liberal and quite open-minded and liberal open-minded people seem to be of the belief that she should be allowed back at the time, uh, like 2019 I think it was and, and so on. However, I think there does come a point where you have to think about the safety of the people here. Um, everything that she's seen, everything that she has allegedly done and the things that she definitely said about the Manchester bombings and how severed heads didn't bother her, there is still that massive risk that she has still been brainwashed by ISIS and, and what they want. I'm not saying she's still a part of ISIS. She probably isn't, to be fair. Um, but it just, it's to me, it seems like one of them things that if you, if you bring her back and then something happens and she's involved, suddenly then you are to blame. But then again, she is a human being that is now currently trapped in a camp. And she was 15 when she made the decision and she was let down by British police. But my answer remains no. And I think it's quite an inhumane answer, but my answer remains no. I do think the whole being 15 is, I think, what is probably pivotal to this question. Um, because... Under the age of 18, you're not considered an adult in the UK. So any crimes you commit, you get a lesser sentence for because by the time you hit 18, they're like, right, well, now you're 18, you basically get to start again, right? And I, I just think when you're... I don't know, I think a lot of people call her a, a woman and all this kind of shit. And it's like, yeah, but 15, she's still a child. She was a girl, but then she made the comments about Manchester and all of this when she was, what, 19? Yes. So, at that point, you are 
considered in the UK anyway an adult. Now, with that, interestingly, um, Shamima has an answer back to that. Now, in that interview where she said that, it's when she's wearing full burqa. She's literally lifted it up just to show her face for the interview with the Times. Um, she is days away from giving birth. And she says at the time uh, when that interview was, was happened, the camp that she was living in was full of ISIS brides who were still vehemently a part of ISIS. They still backed it. They were still in on it. And for her to say anything other than what everyone else should be saying, she felt for that that her safety, uh, the safety of her life and her unborn child, was at risk because of all the other women that were around her. If they found out or heard things that she'd say, if it was anything anti-ISIS, she felt for her life. Um, I mean, I, I, I understand that. I get that completely because, like every episode, I'm going to link it back to the Nazis. At the time of the Nazis, for example, if you were to speak out against them and the Holocaust at the time, you would be killed, even though you probably didn't mm-hmm. agree with it. However, it was it was the proper catch twenty two of you either agree with them or die, which is a horrible decision to be put in. So I, I don't I don't envy her at all. Um, I just I also think if she came back to the UK, her safety would be in question. I think people would track down where she lived, and I think she would be hassled for the rest of her life if not I, killed. I'm inclined to agree on that point. Um, uh where i stand on this um i which is odd because as i've got older i've become more centrist and we seem to have flipped Mm. around in this where i feel i'm very lefty on this one because (laughs) i do think that she should be brought back but not to be brought back to be freed be brought back to face a trial um where she should be imprisoned for you know joining a terrorist organization which is a crime in the uk um and i think without doubt she would be found guilty and she would be put away for quite a long time and the reason i think that she ought to be brought back is not necessarily through any like oh she's a girl and oh, da, da, da. it's nothing to do with that it's purely for the fact that she is a british citizen and she is therefore our responsibility um and as I mentioned earlier with the dual national shit, Bangladesh have not accepted her. They don't want her. They're not going to give her a citizenship, right? So the UK technically can't revoke her citizenship. So she, because uh, otherwise she'd become stateless. So since Bangladesh won't give her a citizenship, Britain can't take it away from her. So therefore she's still a British citizen and therefore should face a trial in Britain. Um, I, I I get what you're saying. I do get what you're saying. I suppose the government looking at it the minute being like the second you put her on prison in prison, she's just a drain on resources. Whereas at the minute she's not. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's really tricky. I don't think there's a there's a a black and white answer here. It is is tricky, and there's lots of opinions. I think I say no based on I don't know just general emotion towards ISIS, and I'm not. I am a sympathetic person, but I also think there comes a point where you've made your bed and now you kind of have to lie in it even if you made that bed when you were 15 mm-hmm. like I, I hold the same belief towards the the um was it john venable's case where the the kids killed the the baby on the the train tracks mm-hmm. like you've you've still done that you still made that decision at some point in your life it doesn't matter how young you were you still did something that no one should ever do in their life and you should 
face repercussions as a result of it. And we we've found one of them that one of the boys is now a fucking sex offender. Yeah. So some people never change. Well, that's something we'll talk about in the future, I'm sure. But I just think I do. At 15, how much agency do you really have? Now, when I was 15, what, you, you're doing your GCSEs? When I was 15, because I'm the youngest in my year at school, I had left school. I still had not yet turned 16. Um, so I yeah. I was fresh yeah. out of school, and I was in no way, like, no one should, like, listen to me at 15. Like, well, anything I had to say I- should not be taken seriously. Some of the kids I knew at 15 were fucking dumb, but I think everyone has a grasp of right and wrong oh, at 15. Oh, for sure. Everyone knows what what's what. And no, like, get pissed in a field with your friends. Like, make some silly mistakes. Get get arrested for, I don't know, spray painting something or littering, I don't know. Like, that. that's what you do when you're mm. 15 at, at most. You don't join ISIS. But you might join the army. A few of my friends did, and were they? And and, and why did they like, do that? Do you know, swayed were, were by they propaganda? swayed by the fancy videos and the graphics. They could have been. They could have you been. Know, it, uh, one's right, one's wrong. One's terrible, one's not. I, I that that that. I'm, there's no issue there. Like, that's not what I'm trying to equate. What I'm trying to equate is is the methods that you use behind it. You know, are they? Because I certainly was. I was an army cadet the entirety of my teenage years, and I all I wanted to do was join the army. Um, and we used to go yeah. to recruitment drives. And we used to watch the recruitment videos. We used to sit on the website and look at all the cool, fancy pictures of soldiers doing amazing, cool things. And we were hooked by it. And, you know, it's not always brilliant. No, it's shit. I, I, I completely get what you're saying. I do sympathise with her to a point, but then... I don't know. I, I would find it very difficult if then I had to look the mother of a victim of the Manchester bombing in the eye, like who lost their kid, and say, really sorry, but someone who was part of ISIS at the time this happened is coming back to this country. It's, but I, I try not to pick sides, but I've, I've heavily yeah, picked a side. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, uh, to, to, again, to, to be absolutely crystal clear, I. I have no intention or wish for her to come back to the UK so that she can just, you know, go to Lidl or, you know, go get a job and just live out an average normal life. But I I do feel like she should probably be brought back. There does need to... I I, I do agree. There should be a trial. And and listen, we don't necessarily have to hold it here. (laughs) Uh, We could... could, I suppose you could hold it... What's the word? Um, You can hold it on behalf of the person, you know, it doesn't necessarily yeah, yeah, have yeah. to be there as far as I know. I may be wrong in this. If there's any lawyers listening, let us know. But I I think as well, one thing that really needs to come out of this is an inquest into how the fuck it happened and how the police and school failed her as a, a child. And I hope things have been put in place since then to stop mm. this from happening. Yeah. Let's see if you get a knock on your door from the police. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I'm just doing research. I promise. I promise. And then like, <laughs> it looks like you've bought a ticket to Turkey. You're like, I'm just going on holiday to the Riviera. <laughs> Get, getting a hair transplant. <laughs> I need my teeth fixed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Now, I think that's kind of our stances made there uh, fairly clearly. Um, I am probably the one that's going to get the most flack for mine. No, I think um, your, yours is the most logical. Like, if you think about the law and, like, 
fairness and how justice should be served. Yours is the most logical. I think mine just comes purely from emotion and I don't know. I'm not. Uh, it's January. It's an evening. It's. I'm not feeling very sympathetic today. Fair. <laughs> I'll come back. Maybe to you if on you this. ask me. If you ask me on another day, I'll be like, yeah, bring it back. Next episode, randomly in the middle of it, I'll go. Should Shimima be brought back? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> when I'm doing a good episode, I'm like, should Shimima come back? And you'd be like, oh, why not? <laughs> I'm um, sure it's not the last we've heard of this. I'm sure there'll be many more twists and turns as we. Oh, go. for sure. But we'll 100% do an update on this at some point soon because. Um, you know, there's a lot going on in the news right now. Um, now, James, you mentioned how you would rather uh, quickly like to mention uh, how journalists sort of covered this. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. So, yeah, I think I think one of the things that doesn't help her case is how it was covered. Because in, in that um, podcast documentary, which I've completely forgotten the name of, which is really bad because I was looking at it today. It's called uh, I'm Not a Monster. I would go and listen to that if I were you, everyone listening. It's really good. Um, they said that the, the friend, Zara, who was... Uh, interviewed by this journalist was hesitant to give her name because of how journalists handled it in the first place with like paparazzi outside of the school and i think there does need to be a differentiation between paparazzi and like actual journalists like paparazzi are the bastards that will come at you with a camera and just take pictures like they're, they're fucking vultures a lot of journalists as well did handle it very badly just like posing the question should she come back calling going out like i mean she was nice as bride but they didn't do her any any services and i think the one thing that a journalist should always try and be is impartial and just present facts and i think a lot of the reports that were were put out were very leading with like don't you dare bring her back especially with tabloids like this your son the daily mail etc they were very much fucker hmm. to put it probably nicer than they did <laughs> yeah yeah it but is journalists do this is the thing though this is the massive thing with everything journalists hold responsibility for people, one people's safety, and two, they can massively influence court cases. Oh yeah. Which, if ever she was put on trial here, I think the trial's already. What's the word? I've completely forgotten the word. There's a technical term. I learned about it in law, but I forgot. The journalist, like, you can't report on stuff until after the fact because you can really damage the case. America law is different because American journalist law doesn't seem to be any. It's just the wild west. You guys can do whatever the fuck you want. Whereas in England, we have strict strict laws about how you handle court cases how you handle things and i think it's they've already damaged that um she'll never she'll never get a fair trial no i think that that was the point i was going to sort of raise and it's you ought to be judged by your peers and as far as i know as well i think i i 100 just learned this from watching american tv but like don't they ask a jury before a case is happening, it's like, do you know anything about this? And if you have yeah, yeah, prior yeah. knowledge, then you're compromised and you shouldn't be yeah, on yeah. that. Yeah, I you're not allowed to. I don't know anyone in the UK that doesn't know her name. No, it, I don't. You, I have no idea how you'd go about it. But also with like court law, with reporting, in the UK, you're not allowed to uh, take photos and, and film it and anything like that for the outside world. In America, fucking go crazy. We saw it with the Johnny Depp case. It was on TikTok. Yeah, like you try and find a recording of UK court, you can't. You, you can't do it anywhere. I was obsessed with that case. <laughs> uh, it was wild. It was, wild. It was absolutely wild. Yeah, but yeah, uh, journal- journalists, I think, really dropped the ball on that one. But I think because the second she got her citizens citizen citizenship revoked, she she was through to the fucking birds. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um. Well. I think we've uh, we've covered quite a lot there. 
it's a really interesting topic of conversation. I'd be fascinated to know if she is known about in like America and around the world, and also what people's thoughts are on whether she should be brought back to Britain. Mm. Because it's it's not an open and shut thing. I'm sure I think we've both played it quite well with reasons as to why she should and why she shouldn't. Mm. Um, sorry to, to mm. uh, I mean I'm just going back on something there, but um, when I've used that that she's 15 and whatnot, um, one thing that was found, um, in the girls' rooms after they found out she'd dead gone to ISIS was an itinerary of everything like bus tickets and how much they're going to cost and flights how much would they cost and certain turkish words so they can just get about before they meet their smuggler and all this kind of stuff it was meticulously planned out and now obviously we 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 do know that she was in contact with um isis recruiters or whatever they may be who were feeding them a lot of this information you need to be at this place at this time and you need to meet us here and da 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 and this is how much things may be costing and whatnot but that's the thing that i can't and why i i just think you know her case is an open and shut thing um it's still planned out like she still knew what she was doing uh, at all times granted yeah she knew what she was doing when she was doing it was she groomed I think so. Yes, they are yeah, telling course. her all the things that she wants to hear. They're promising her all the things that she wants to be promised. And then she's, you know, that allows her, the agency to do all these things and plan it out. You know, if, I just think if, I, I don't know, because apparently, allegedly she'd seen videos of people being beheaded and, 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 um, haven't we all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> But she'd seen videos of that and still was on board. So I don't know. Listen, it's... I've no, I'm not apologetic in any way to her for the things that she'd done or why she went. Da, 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 da. I'm just like, I just, yeah, as you said, the logical think... reason is needs a trial. Something that doesn't help her case is in all interviews I've seen anyway, is she's very nonchalant about it all. I don't know if that's yeah. just her personality, but she she very rarely shows emotion. You'd expect someone in that situation to be crying, begging. She's very nonchalant. Funny enough, you should mention that. So I, in researching this, saw um, a good few interviews of other ISIS brides who, uh, some of these had come from Australia. I, I come as far away from Australia. They were Lebanon, uh, Lebanese, sorry. Uh, and they travelled to ISIS um, to be brides. And obviously still now living in camps. They were crying their eyes out begging to come back saying you know i don't even care for me i just want my children that are still alive i just need them to go home i want them to go to my parents i just need them to have something they were begging and begging and crying and yet with shamima there's almost nothing like it's just like you say so blase so nonchalant um yeah now and that won't fly i don't know if you've seen uh the begum family lawyer was uh, once on the popular morning show Good Morning Britain. And when asked about things like that, was like, you know, why does she show no remorse? Why is she so, like, she almost looks bored? And he said that, you know, when in a war, many soldiers, especially during the, the First World War, when in their state of shell shock, you know, could show very little emotion and be very just cold and dead to just things. Mm. Um, to which... Richard Maidley, who was the anchor at the time, was like, my grandfather was a World War One veteran and he had shell shock and he was very upset and <laughs> cried and all this kind of shit. And then it was just like, yes, but your grandfather is not representative of every other veteran of the First World War. Yeah. 
Um, Richard Mallard's fucking twat. Uh, yeah. Um, but, you know, you mentioned that, you know, she's a bit blase about everything. And it, maybe it's that. She's lost three of her children. Her husband is in prison. The person that she thought was going to look after her for the rest of her life. And she lives. she just lives in this war zone and has done since she was 15. Both of the friends that she travelled out with are now dead. And she's just alone. Her life has fully collapsed. Oh, 100%. 100%. So... You do wonder as well, because she went with her friends, whether there was sort of like mob mentality, a bit of peer pressure, like they all thought it would be, as you said earlier, like a girls weekend. Yeah. Like a bit of fun. Yeah. And it, it quickly turned out to not be that. I'm sure they were promised shit that absolutely did not happen. Yeah, I think I think that may be true. Um, so yeah, again, I don't want to come across as a, an, as a begum apologist. <laughs> Um, no, this is the thing. There's lots of moving parts to this, and I think it's very easy to speak emotionally about it, as I did earlier. But you have to, you then have to take yourself back and think about it logically. She is a British citizen. The citizen. These are the laws. Mm. You have to abide by the law because if you don't abide by the law, then the whole system's just fucking pointless, isn't it? It's impossible. I never broke the law. I am the law. I think that's probably a good place to wrap it up. Yeah, I agree. Um, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, well very very much interested to hear your guys opinions on this if you have any at all and again like james said if you're international and you've never heard of her like what do you think um let us know i'm sure every like well most western countries have similar cases to this 100 percent. i i saw this and like thousands of people from europe alone have all gone yeah. over in fact i watched a, a short documentary about a young german guy uh, called max who went over and ended up coming back to Germany, faced trial, uh, was found not guilty, and now is just sort of living his normal life in his parents' house, having once been an ISIS, you know, member. Really weird. That's mad. Yeah. Yeah, it's mad. Alrighty, everyone. Um, thank you very much for listening. Uh, thank you very much for joining us once again. It's almost like a brand new show. <laughs> Think of it like that. Um, <laughs> join us for the next episode where we will talk about whatever I have chose to write. <laughs> yeah, or maybe I'll write something. I don't know. We don't know. We simply don't know at this but, point. But, as we said at the beginning, we always want to be as transparent and as honest with you. So, uh, uh, transparent, as open, and as honest as possible with you. So, there you go. Right. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. And uh, we will see you on the next one. Ta-ra.